the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website and your host for the See at the Game podcast. The Buffs took one on the chin last weekend, falling on the road to number 10 Oregon 42-6. I am joined for this episode by Neil Langland and we'll do the post-mortem on CU's first loss of the Coach Prime era and speculate as to what lessons, if any, the Buff players and the Buff nation can take from the defeat. We then move on to our tips for CU's last chance as a member of the Pac-12 to take down the Trojans of USC. Using the categories of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics, we break down what the 8th-ranked Trojans are bringing to breakfast in Boulder and what the CU coaches and players might exploit in their bid for an upset. So. Will the 9 a.m. body clock kickoff work to USC's disadvantage? Will former buff Brendan Rice be featured in his return to Folsom Field? Will the CU coaching staff follow the Arizona State template and throw in every trick play in the playbook in an attempt to stay with the high-octane scoring machine, which is the USC offense? Will the buff players rebound from their first loss at CU with renewed swagger? Or... Will this turn into a second consecutive route, a game which is out of reach by halftime? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back, and I am joined by Mr. Downtown Neil Langland. How is uh, how's Denver doing today? Well, I have to say, beautiful fall day. After we finish with this, we're going to walk down to Larimer Square, have a cup of coffee, and just watch the people go by. It's wonderful down there. You can do a dessert, a meal outdoors, and just have a real nice time. So I'm trying to use that as a salve for uh, what happened on Saturday. Okay. Well, we're missing one Brad Geiger this episode. He is uh, in the ICU, which uh, don't worry buff fans that doesn't stand in our case for intensive care unit but i think it's inconsolable cu fan is the the icu that we're talking about with brad so neil and i are going to do our best to get you through our review of the oregon game number 10 oregon 42 number 19 colorado 6 and we're going to talk about the game and then we're going to preview the upcoming game against number eight USC coming to uh, Boulder and Folsom Field 
with uh, the Trojans perhaps coming to see you for the last time, at least for the foreseeable future. So we will do a quick postmortem of the Oregon game. Neil, what were your overview thoughts? What did you uh, take from the game as a, on the big picture? Well, as we know, preseason and all during the, the spring and summer, we identified what we thought would be a couple of position groups that were perhaps not up to the standards set by the better position groups like the DBs and the wide receivers and the quarterback. And uh, we were all have, crossing our fingers that the D-line and the O-line would somehow come through. Well, through the portal, we were able to get skilled positions. All of those players are top-notch. I'm afraid that we weren't able to acquire the same for those lines. And that's no denigration of those athletes that are out there trying to get uh, the best out of themselves, admire their courage. But I'm not sure that we have power five talent on those units. And watching some of the plays uh, on replay, it was evident that either our scheme and our talent simply were not up to the test. And I'm afraid that a lot of it has to do with talent. Hopefully that can be addressed later on, but I think we were just outclassed, sorry to say. Yeah, well, it was predicted to be a, a, a big win for Oregon. Oregon was a three-touchdown favorite and had a three-touchdown lead early in the second quarter and just never looked back. The score could have been actually much worse. I'm surprised, based upon some of Dan Lanning's comments, that he didn't uh, pour it on even more than he did. I saw one quote. Uh, this is from the legendary Ohio State coach, Woody Hayes. There's nothing that cleanses your soul like getting the hell kicked out of you. So hopefully the Buffs' souls have been cleansed. Do you think that this could potentially be a net positive for the Buffs, or is there nothing positive you can actually take from a loss that's this bad? Everyone said the right things in the locker room. Coach Prime and the players, you know, said we're getting back to work. No pity party. Time to start working on the next game. Is this something where, you know, the old saying is you don't let the team beat you twice, that you have to put this game behind you and move on to the next one as quickly as possible. Is that going to be uh, a thing for this team, which was thrown together over the summer and hasn't experienced this type of adversity before? Well, within games, they have been resilient and tough and fun to watch them respond to being behind and making comebacks and uh, doing what was necessary to win. We'll get a chance now to see how they do with something that has to take place over the course of the week, which is to rebuild their psyches and their confidence and their energy. Cause I think perhaps they were a bit depleted after three very tough close games. Maybe this week they can do some R and R and sort of get themselves back on keel. And I'm confident that if there's any effects that the coaching staff can have on improving their psyches and getting these guys back into the mode where 
they have some confidence and, and practice well and prepare well and come ready to play this Saturday. I think this coaching staff can do that. And I'm looking forward to all of those things happening. And that will be the test of how they do. And I'm going to just put my money down now and say that they'll be ready. Okay, very good. Well, let's do a, a quick rewind on the Oregon game. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're sticking with the podcast after this kind of a loss, thank you very much for being here. And what we do in our review, we break it down into elementary school grading. Excellent satisfactory and needs improvement so the first one's the hardest one neil in a game where cu failed to get 200 yards of total offense gave up over 500 yards of total offense is there anything you can put in the excellent category for cu in the oregon game i'm gonna say shadur sanders and his valiant efforts to try to keep the, the team going he did everything within his power to get some offense going. And I think his spirit and his toughness, and if I say um, gamesman uh, mentality, he was superb. Uh, the rest of the offense and the offense generally is uh, completely a needs improvement. And that goes for all the position groups outside of quarterback. On pass protection, our running backs were unable to help with that even though there were a couple of times where number three was able to break through a small crease and get a, a nice run. So if anything what amongst that group on the offense was acceptable, I'd say the few times the running backs were able to run with the ball. We got over 100 yards gross, so that's not terrible, but um, it's just about needs improvement. Okay. The only thing I really put in the excellent category, and it's kind of, you know, obviously it's a stretch at this point, were just some of the names that appeared in the participation list. Alden McCaskill got some carries in the fourth quarter as a running back, finally got him into the game. Cormani McLean got in, got actually got a couple of tackles. His first action as a true freshman got into the game. Travis Jay, there were others. Van Wells was back at center. So CU doesn't have to have a true freshman at center uh, going forward. Hopefully Van Wells, you know, since he started, be healthy enough to go and continue to play. So not much in the excellent category other than I think just the idea we got some players that got some playing time. You know, you'd like to have this happen last week and have CU ahead of CSU 42-6 to six and be able to run out some second-string players and some freshmen to get them some playing time. But – at least uh, if they had to find a weird, weird way to get on the field, at least they found a way to get on the field. Yeah, we kind of mentioned satisfactory. Anything else that you put in the uh, the satisfactory category that was uh, at least acceptable to you for the CU effort against Oregon? Well, I thought our DBs, given all the stress placed on them uh, by the Oregon offense, played reasonably well without Travis, as good as could be expected. They didn't tackle well. Uh, nobody on the defense tackled well. But if there was any group on defense that was even marginally acceptable, I would say it was our, our back end, our DBs. Okay. 
the only thing I put in the satisfactory category uh, was Shadur just basically staying upright. That We've gotten through a third of the season, haven't lost our quarterback, but if we can't start preventing some sacks and some hurries and pressures, I'm not sure if Shadur's going to be able to make it through 12 games or hopefully 13. And I did put down resiliency. That seems to be a hallmark of the team that even though they were down, they kept playing. Um, you could still see the effort in the second half. It wasn't a complete abandonment of the effort of what they were trying to accomplish. They weren't doing a having much success at it, but it wasn't a give up game. And in the past 10, 15 years, unfortunately, Buff fans have seen some give up games where it was apparent that the Buffs really were just anxious to get on the bus and get to, you know, get out of there. So um, the team's sticking together, and I'm I'm happy about that, and hopefully, again, they can build on that. Uh, needs improvements, pretty much everything. Is there anything specific about uh, the bus effort that you would specify as needing improvement going forward? Overall, the running game, pass protection, perhaps coaching in terms of scheme in that uh, we've had the issue now of pass protection for quite some time. I'll talk about this more in terms of preparation, but I think there's some adjustments that they might make that they haven't made. So I'm not confident. Well, I, I, it may not be fair, but I think the coaches maybe could have made some adjustments to help our pass protection and our running game. Looking at our pass rush, we put no pressure, really. We sacked, I think, uh, Monix one time. Otherwise, he pretty much had as much time as he wanted and needed to complete passes all over the field. Special teams, again, we had a place kick blocked. I'm not sure if it's fair to criticize the fake punt. I'm not sure how you anticipate that in that game situation. But, um, boy, that sure hurt. So I, I think all around, um, defense is a neat improvement. Offense is a neat improvement. Special teams is a neat improvement, especially Correcting repetitive problems, blocked kicks. The only bright spot on the special teams, I think the punting was, um, after the first one, the shank, the punting was, was adequate. Okay. Well, yeah, again, in a 42-6 to six blowout, there's, yeah, pretty much offense, defense, special teams, passing offense, passing defense, everything across the board. I just wanted to note the two things I wrote down were penalties, Double-digit penalties, you can't do that against the top 10 team on the road. I don't care how talented you are or not talented. You can't have that many penalties. And just, again, in the needs correction category would be slow starts. CU took the opening drive against TCU and marched down the field and got a touchdown. And since then, the first quarter has been kind of uh, difficult for the Buffs. You know, no points against Nebraska. There are 14 points against CSU in the first quarter, but seven of those were on Shiloh Sanders' interception return. For CU to compete against ranked teams, and there's a good chunk of ranked teams coming up on the calendar, you can't have these lethargic slow starts, and they've got to come out with uh, with their pants on fire like they did against TCU. And I don't know if they're going to be able to get that back this week or if they're going to get it back at all, but first quarter problems – change momentum and if you're playing against some team like CSU it gives them hope 
if you're playing that way against a team like Oregon, they just smell blood and go in for the kill. So I put the slow starts definitely under the the needs improvement category. But it is what it is. Fortunately, only counts as one loss. That uh, the count doesn't count for more than one L in the standings. So he was still three and one. Still will have a winning record in September, which is something that very few, if any, pundits would have uh, allowed for. Could I have an addendum on onto this, which is the penalties that you mentioned? We've up to now talked about the progression of CU's conduct of the game of forced and unforced errors. They were excellent against TCU, and they have gotten progressively worse in terms of their penalty, the types of penalties, and the seeming lack of coordination between the sideline and the field. That definitely needs to be improved, and it's it's getting worse, and we at least need to reverse direction. Yeah, I I, I agree. That's kind of what I was getting at the the team that we saw against TCU was amazing compared to what we thought we might see for a team that hadn't played together. And yeah, it's going in the opposite direction of what you would have expected. We expected TCU to be a sloppy game. And hopefully by the fourth game of the season, the Buffs would be at least organized and disciplined. And that doesn't seem to be the case right now. So organized and disciplined is certainly going to be a factor uh, coming up against USC and what we do for our preview broken down into four categories tips being talent intangibles preparation and statistics so first let's look at the talent of USC and just like coach prime it ain't hard to find neil what what stood out to you about the USC trojans when you were looking at preparing for this podcast and talking about the USC game coming up this Saturday. Well, Stu, I was, you know, still in a bit of a stupor. So the TV was still on when I peeked in on ASU and USC. And what came to me then is that USC does not have the size up front that Oregon had. They're about the same size as CU, but they are, all very quick and very athletic. They can run a variety of of blocking schemes. And on defense, they run to the ball and close holes quickly. The skill positions, it is a horror show. Quarterback, as we know, returning Heisman winner, extremely mobile, good arm, can pick out receivers, reach defenses, and has good protection. His wide receivers can't let this go by without noting that one of their best, and perhaps the guy leading them in receptions, is the grandnephew of our treasured Hall of Fame member, Cliff Branch, right. who played back in the late 60s, early 70s, and is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This kid is uber talented, a true freshman. He can run, he can. He can avoid tackles. He's amazing. Also, Brendan Rice, the former buff, very talented also, and does a fine job receiving. They've got other receivers who can who can run, who can jump, who have good hands, who are quite mobile. 
they're going to be a handful. It's going to be tough to cover them, especially if we have no pass rush. They have a running back or stable of running backs that are average size, but very fast and quick. Or it's going to be hard to, to match up against those guys, perhaps even harder than it was with Oregon. Yeah. I watched at least I watched the first half of the ASU game. It was a late game. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with the USC offense unless they do something that's self-inflicted. Caleb Williams definitely looks like a professional quarterback out there. He's only got 1,200 yards compared to Shadur Sanders' 1,410 yards, but Shadur's thrown 68 more passes to get there. And 15 touchdowns, no interceptions. And Shadur Sanders, you know, he's doing everything he can, completing at almost 77% uh, with 11 touchdowns and interception. But, yeah, the you alluded to who, who he's throwing to. Brendan Rice, team leading five touchdowns. And I would be surprised if they try and showcase him against the Buffs, let him have fun in Folsom Field. That wouldn't be a surprise. Zachariah Branch, you mentioned the grandnephew or the great-nephew of CU legend Cliff Branch. Not only is he a good receiver with two touchdowns, he already has a kickoff return for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown. So if special teams are a concern for CU going in, look for Zachariah Branch to be someone that will expose that. And Taj Washington, Buff fans might remember he had a 61-yard touchdown against the Buffs last season in the 55-17 route of the Buffs. He's also a receiver that has a whole bunch of yards and a whole bunch of touchdowns. I mean, it's just completely loaded at the wide receiver position. I mean, if CU had an offensive line that could protect Shooter Sanders and allow him to throw, I think our wide receivers – Maybe not man-for-man talent-wise, but I think there would be some pretty good matchups, CU's talent-wise. But when you've got, you know, protection and the ability Caleb Williams has and the arsenal he has to throw to, yeah, it's it's hard to believe. I mean, we've talked about the rushing game. They're going for almost 200 yards rushing per game. Marshawn Lloyd has 349 yards, two touchdowns. He's averaging almost nine yards per carry. Now you think about the Colorado offense. They can't muster 100 yards rushing a game, and this guy's averaging nine yards per carry. So USC, the offense, not a big surprise. Third in the nation in total offense. First in the nation in scoring offense at 55 points per game. So some of their competition Maybe a little bit suspect at this point. They played Stanford, San Jose State, uh, Nevada, and then Arizona State. But still, uh, it's hard to for- score 55 points against air. And these guys have managed to do that. And I don't know. So the question is, and this was the knock on the team last year, that USC had a top 10 possible college football playoff caliber offense, but didn't have a very good defense. They were ranked 105th in total defense and 93rd in scoring defense last year. Now they've tried to bolster that some 
any hope of Colorado getting into a score fest and just having to be a pinball kind of game and the Buffs offense being able to light it up against the USC defense? Or is that just uh, hoping against hope that the Buffs can find a way to, to, to keep up with an offense we know is going to score against the CU defense? That was their Achilles heel last year, USC's. Um, it showed up in the game against Utah where they just couldn't stop anyone. They are better this year, but they are sort of a mediocre defense in terms of rankings and yard surrender, even given their modest schedule to this point. We may have underestimated ASU. ASU was able to score on USC and move the ball. Um, made a couple of critical errors that would have made the game closer. But my sense is if we can get any kind of pass protection, um, our receivers can get open and we'll gain some yards through the air. Key thing is, I think, protection, but their DBs are nothing like Oregon's. So we should be able to get open, I guess is my point. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a, a good segue into the I, which would be intangibles. What did you put down in your notes about the intangibles for this game? What do you think might uh, be an outside influence on the, the outcome of the game? Well, we'll see. As we talked about at the top of the podcast, Stu, was how – um, CU reacts to a drubbing and how they're going to be able or if they're going to be able to be as resilient between games as they were within game. And that's going to be a big challenge to rebuild their confidence and to get them practicing hard and playing hard and ready to go. That's a big intangible for CU. Also, I think CU at this point can't afford to let it all hang out against USC. Last chance we'll play them for a while. Maybe that will be extra motivation that we can finally, finally put one up in the win column against these guys. USC looked like they might have been sleepwalking a little bit against ASU, looking past ASU, and they may be looking past CU also here because their big challenges don't come up until uh, two weeks from now where SC takes on Notre Dame and then Utah. So I think they may be building toward those games and not paying too much attention to the ones before that. Other than that, I think an intangible is how the crowd supports the team. It's going to be important for the fans to come out. And I'm guessing that there's going to be great fan support there. So CU has a chance if it can come out emotionally and physically ready. And that's going to be the biggest challenge in the intangibles. Okay. Well, I, um, I kind of match what you had. I put down, you know, that the Buffs have something to prove that Coach Prime's quote after the game, you get your butt up and let's go. We need to have time for no pity party. Ain't nobody walking around the locker room with napkins and tissues. Get your butt off. Let's get on the plane and let's go. We got work to do. I'm hoping that you know, again, this is their first real adversity. So how that's going to play out and whether or not they're going to buckle up or if they're going to start wondering if there's cracks in the armor. The other quote I wanted to talk to you about from Coach Prime 
was the better get me now quote. One thing I can say honestly and candidly, you better get me now, what Coach said in a press conference. It's the worst we're going to be. You better get me now. First, what, what was your reaction to that? Was that a positive, negative, a concern? What did you, uh, what did you think when you, when you heard that quote? Well, I think he was saying a, a few things there by implication. One is his notion of keeping receipts is that you're going to beat up on us now, but we're going to be better the next year or two, and we'll try to return the favor. Uh, so it was a bit of a warning. Two, it was sort of an acknowledgement that CU was in the early stages of its uh, rebirth, and we don't have all the tools that we may not want, may not need. We may not have everybody that we need on campus right now, but we're going to get them, and we're going to get them in certain spots where we might be a little weak, and we're going to be much better next season. So. Now's the time because we're going to be much better. Yeah. Next I, year and the year I listened to it. I heard it that same way. My concern, I wish you'd just thrown in this season is the worst we're going to be. Because we are one Shadur Sanders injury away from being much worse than we were against Oregon and not being able to compete against some of these teams. So yeah, you and I heard it that way. You and I understand it that way, that he gets that this is the lowest common denominator for talent that this team is going to have under Coach Prime. But I'm just afraid it might come back to bite him if there are some injuries to key positions and people can say, this is the worst we're going to be, and then we go out and really get trampled by, with not USC, by Utah or even Oregon State or Washington State, something like that, they're going to take out their whatever they want to take out against CU and Coach Prime. So I like what he said. You know, you better get me right now. I totally get what he said. This is the worst we're going to be. I just really wish he'd said that this season is the worst we're going to be so that there's a qualifier there because, yeah, if Shadur Sanders gets hurt, I don't know, the 3.5 over-under might come back into play. So – Yes, I, I like what he said, and I hope it fires up his team, and you know, we'll see if we got something to prove. On the USC side on intangibles, they did drop three spots in the AP poll after the Arizona State game. 42-28, they were 34-point favorites. It was a one-possession game into the fourth quarter. The game was never seriously in doubt, but they did not play particularly well. I don't know if that brings them to the point where, like you say, they're still looking ahead. They've got Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. you got a Cal game next week that wouldn't necessarily inspire them that much. But their first two games, you know, were televised on the Pac-12 networks, which, as Buff fans know, is means they're not on television and the two conference games, the Stanford and Arizona games, both kicked off at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So USC really hasn't been seen by much of the nation, much of the nation's media, as much as they would pretend that they watch all the games. And now they've got a 12 noon Eastern time, big noon kickoff showcase 
And I'm afraid that they might want to showcase their talent and say that the Arizona State game was a fluke and ignore it. And this is the USC team that we really want to show you is going to be a college football playoff contender and take it out on the, the poor buffs. Um, the only other intangible is what happens with Brendan Rice. I don't think Cliff Branch's great nephew has much of a concern about the University of Colorado, but certainly Brendan Rice would love to have a great game at Folsom Field, and I'm sure he would love to score a couple of touchdowns, so I'm going to keep an eye on how much they focus on him in the passing game. So with the intangible thing, part of – Coach Prime's motivational stop is to have his friends from entertainment and sports on the sideline. If he can bring in those guys again and sort of help buoy the players with that, I think that would be a great thing to do. And I think we have a body clock advantage here because CU practices in the morning and their body clocks are going to be set for this. It's going to be a nine o'clock body clock for the USC guys. So they may be a little bit loggy when they first come out. Maybe it's a little slow in the first quarter. Maybe we can take advantage of that. Yeah. Well, that's what I had under my P for preparation or schedule. Number one on the list was, yes, it's a morning game, 9 a.m. kickoff for USC. And this is the third time in five games Colorado's kicked off at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. So, yeah, the buffs are used to it. The Trojans will say that it's not that big of a deal, but considering they kick off, you know, last two games were, like you say, well, there are 7.30 p.m. Pacific time games, but it's a whole lot different than kicking off at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So it's certainly going to be an adjustment for them. It's also back-to-back road games for the Trojans, which is not something that, you know, they like to put favorite teams through very often. But, again, looking at who the Pac-12 put them up against, you know, figuring Arizona State and Colorado were not going to be teams that we really had to worry too much about. I think they said that, yeah, it's okay if we're going to have to make USC have back-to-back road games, let's make it early in the season before the weather gets bad and let's uh, make it two teams that aren't likely to contend. You know, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, I mean, look at how they set up USC, Oregon, and Washington. Okay, so the three team Colorado's the Pac-12 hasn't been in the college football playoffs since 2016 when Washington played. So the Pac-12, before it disintegrated, the schedules came out before all the defections, all the realignment. It seems like they were bound and determined to give the top teams every chance they could to stay and get in the top ten, stay in the top ten before they played each other and have national showcase games. I mean, yes, USC is a back-to-back road games, but their first four conference games. Now, bear in mind, this was a conference that had eight teams ranked last week. Their first four conference games, Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona. Now, of course, nobody figured that Colorado would be one of those eight ranked teams, but if you were going to pick the bottom four of the Pac-12, you'd probably say Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona. And that's who they put in as their first four conference games. Oregon started off with Colorado, 
pick 11th by the Pac-12 media. This week they're playing Stanford. Then they get a bye before playing Washington. Washington's starting with Cal. Then they play Arizona. And then they get a bye before playing Oregon. So you can say what you want, but it certainly seems to me that the Pac-12 made an intentional effort to get their top teams through late September, early October unscathed so that they could have the highest national rankings possible going into games that mattered in late October and into November. So two comments. One, you do not sound like um, Oliver Stone in his movie JFK. I think what you're saying is quite viable. It's not a, an off the off the uh, the sheet kind of a conspiracy theory. Number two, I think the auxiliary commissioner of the Pac-12 during Larry Scott's time, uh, that is John Wilner of the San Jose. <laughs> wrote several columns on this issue of if the Pac-12 is going to get to the championship, they have to take care of their top teams and maximize the choices or the opportunities that those teams have. And he said, if we have to do it through scheduling, so be it. And I think shortly thereafter, the Pac-12 got wise, and that's what they're trying to do. It yeah. is quite clear. Yeah, anything short of Going back to eight conference games and doing it like the SEC, where you throw in a fourth non-conference cupcake just to pad the, the win-loss total, this is about as good as the Pac-12 could do for the top three teams. I know, you know, they didn't do it for Utah. You know, they made Utah start off with UCLA. You know, it's like the second tier got to beat up on each other at Oregon State against Washington State to start off. So it was like the top three, you guys get passes. The middle four, you guys can sort out which one of you is actually legitimate. And then the bottom four, well, you're going to get beat up on by everybody else. So it seems like the schedule makers were pretty deliberate in how they formulated the early season schedule for the back 12. Stu, I'm going to grasp at a straw here, uh, an intangible, don't know the weather forecast. But if we can get a sunny, hot, dry day, that may give the Buffs a little bit of a chance because we may dry out the Trojans by the middle of the third quarter. That might give us a, a slight edge. Well, the forecast, you got what you wanted. I mean, what you can get for late September, you got a low 80s. They will be on the sunny side of the field. It was nice for the Nebraska game, which is another warm game that uh, – sitting high up in the, the east stands. We were in the shade until halftime, sitting underneath the, the high edifice on the east side. We were in the shadows until halftime, so it was nice and cool. But after halftime, it got very warm. And obviously, the USC is going to be over on the west side, and they're going to be in the sun the entire game. So hopefully that will play a role. But it looks like it's going to be warm fall day in Boulder on Saturday, starting at in 10.05. I've got a preparation thing that I, I missed putting in there, which is this. And you mentioned it. We have no season, no hope, if we don't have Shador Sanders. He has taken, according to a stat I read, 
more hits than any quarterback in FBS. He's at 60. He can't continue that pace. If he does, he's going to be out of action by the seventh game, if not before. So in preparation, whether it's scheme changes, whether it's personnel groupings or, or both, they have to make their top priority to improve their pass protection. If that means different personnel groups, putting in a regular tight end, putting in a bigger back that can pass protect, doing something like that, wider splits in the line, um, maybe a two-back set, they have to do something to try to pass protect. Because if we don't have that, we won't have a quarterback. So that means the coaching staff is going to have to make some changes because the scheme that we have has been so well scouted by Nebraska, improved by Colorado State, and executed to perfection by Oregon. All the USC needs to do is take that blueprint off the shelf, and that's their defensive game plan. CU has to anticipate that and make changes because they cannot continue having Shador Sanders get pounded the way he has up to this point. Yeah. Well, and, that, that's and that's part of, you talk about taking game plans off the shelf, you know, Arizona state had a fake punt that worked. They had an onside kick that didn't work. They had two halfback passes, one that worked well and one that would have been a touchdown if it was thrown better. And that was all in the first half. So in terms of preparation, you know, if there's anything in the playbook, now's the time to try it. If you're a three-touchdown underdog to a team that's going to score a bunch of points, you got to find a way to be creative and finding ways to put points on the board. We'll see what sort of uh, scheme the Buffs come up with as they face the Trojans. Uh, well, let's move on to the last category of tips, which would be statistics. S for stats, anything in the stat sheet that – makes you smile. I think there's a lot there to make you cringe, but is there anything that uh, gives you hope about the, the CU effort against the USC? Well, there's their defense, as we mentioned. Here are some, some cringes. Total offenses is ranked number three. Um, scoring offense is number one. Their turnover ratio, not so bad. They're at 69. And turnover margin, they're 44th. Penalties, here's something to look for, something nice. They're 125th. They're as bad with their penalties as CU is. So if CU can clean up, they may have an advantage there. That's something we might be able to do. Um, on the bad side, one of their defensive linemen or linebackers has four and a half sacks up to this point. We're going to need an answer for him. Those are the stats I have. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, Zachariah Branch is leading their team with uh, an all-purpose yards, somewhere like 540, which, as you mentioned, kick return, punch returns, uh, receptions, he's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. So those stats are the ones I think are going to be important. Yeah, I can't give up cheap points to a team that can score points on it without any help. So, yeah, every kickoff has to go through the end zone. Every punt might just be angled out of bounds. You might – sacrifice five to 10 yards on the punt just to make sure you don't have a punt returned. Yeah, the stats are not certainly in CU's favor. It's not as bad as it was last year when CU was in the 120s in pretty much every statistical category. 
but it's hard to find too many holes in the USC stat line. 75th in rushing defense, which would be great, something that CU could exploit, except for the fact that CU is last in the nation in rushing offense. It's hard to say that the, you know that's something that CU can plan on exploiting, even if McCaskill gets to starting, but McCaskill gets a bunch of carrot carries that I'm not sure that that's going to be something that can carry the day. Uh, USC only has two turnovers in four games. And like you mentioned, that they're in the 120s in penalties, 37 penalties in four games. Oh, wait, yes, as you mentioned, CU has 37 penalties in four games. So, yes, we can hope that USC will make some mental mistakes and commit some errors, but if CU's going to match them for penalty for penalty, it's not going to be to CU's advantage. You can't play a team like this even. you got to find some places that it's going to serve your advantage. And, yeah, it's going to take a monumental effort for the boss to, to, to pull out this win. So I'm going to ask you to give us your prediction. What do you think is going to turn out to be the final scores that come about 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon at Folsom Field? Oregon could have named or could have set the points it scored, really. It showed some sportsmanship for a change um, by now running it up. USC, I think, is probably going to rest their players if they're out to a comfortable lead, try to save them for the upcoming difficult games. So they'll probably end up somewhere around 45, um, six touchdowns and a field goal, approximately. And if we can capitalize on uh, USC's okay, but not great defense, we might be able to score somewhere between 17 and 20. Okay. And that's assuming they make some scheme and personnel changes that give us some pass protection. If they don't yeah. do that, we're not going to score that much. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if it's great minds that think alike or, like minds think greatly or something like that, but uh, we don't discuss this obviously before we get on, on the air here, the score I had written down, I had USC at 45, just like you did. I gave the buffs a little bit of credit and I put 24. So I had it as a 45, 24 game for USC and we'll see how it plays out. Better days are ahead, at least in terms of the schedule. Uh, the Buffs get to play Arizona State. It's a road game, and then they get to play Stanford, a Friday night home game. It's going to be a whiteout. Not, you know, you like to save whiteouts for night games, but it is going to be a whiteout for the USC game. So everyone wear their white shirts. Neil, you can wear your see you at the game shirt, you know, which is a nice white shirt with the, or the see you at the game logo. So, I don't know. We will see. It's going to be obviously sold out. Every home game is sold out. Thank you, Coach Prime. And I would imagine it's going to be loud. The, the students will be there. And we're used to 10 a.m. kickoffs. So uh, hopefully that will play to a, a bigger advantage than even we hoped. And the bus will be competitive well past the midway point of the second quarter and maybe surprise us all and pick up Victory number one, all time. This is maybe CU's last chance. 
certainly as a member of the Pac-12, to beat USC. Uh, a big offer in its history against the Trojans. Maybe this will be the week that everybody gets surprised and uh, the three touchdown underdogs surprise everyone and make national news and get back into the national rankings. So, Neil, we're going to leave it at that. Hopefully we'll get Brad back next week for the review of USC and the preview for the road trip to the desert to play Arizona State. Thank you much. Thank you. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you're subscribing to this podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I'll be back next week with Neil and Brad, and we'll give you our review of the USC game and be previewing the Buffs' upcoming trip to the desert to face Arizona State. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.